0: Chapter Twenty Eight of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Crowgirl. Is He Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty Eight. What Matter If She Does? About noon on the day after the occurrences related in the last chapter, Lady George owned to herself that she was a most unfortunate young woman. Her husband had gone out, and she had not as yet told him anything of what that odious Augusta Mildmay had said to her. She had made various little attempts, but had not known how to go on with them. She had begun by giving him her history of the Baroness, and he had scolded her for giving the woman a sovereign, and for taking the woman about London in her carriage. It is very difficult to ask in a fitting way for the sympathies and cooperation of one who is scolding you. And Mary, in this matter, wanted almost more than sympathy and cooperation. Nothing short of the fullest manifestation of affectionate confidence would suffice to comfort her, and desiring this she had been afraid to mention Captain de Baron's name. She thought of the waltzing, thought of Susanna, and was cowardly. So the time slipped away from her, and when he left her on the following morning her story had not been told he was no sooner gone than she felt that if it were to be told at all it should have been told at once was it possible that that venomous girl should really go to her husband with such a complaint she knew well enough or at any rate thought that she knew that there had never been an engagement between the girl and jack de baron she had heard it all over and over again from adelaide houghton and had even herself been present at some joke on the subject between adelaide and jack there was an idea that jack was being pursued and mrs houghton had not scrupled to speak of it before him mary had not admired her friend's taste and had on such occasions thought well of jack because he had simply disowned any consciousness of such a state of things but all this had made mary sure that there was not and that there never had been any engagement and yet the wretched woman in her futile and frantic endeavours to force the man to marry her was not ashamed to make so gross an attack as this if it hadn't been for lady susanna and those wretched fortune-telling cards and that one last waltz there would be nothing in it but as it was there might be so much she had begun to fear that her husband's mind was suspicious that he was prone to believe that things were going badly before her marriage when she had in truth known him not at all her father had given her some counsels in his light airy way which however had sunk deep into her mind and which she had endeavoured to follow to the letter he had said not a word to her as to her conduct to other men it would not be natural that a father should do so but he had told her how to behave to her husband men he had assured her were to be won by such comforts as he described a wife should provide that a man's dinner was such as he liked to eat his bed such as he liked to lie on his clothes arranged as he liked to wear them and the household hours fixed to suit his convenience She should learn and indulge his habits, should suit herself to him in external things of life, and could thus win from him a liking and a reverence which would wear better than the feeling generally called love, and would at last give the woman her proper influence. The dean had meant to teach his child how she was to rule her husband, but of course had been too wise to speak of dominion mary declaring to herself that the feeling generally called love should exist as well as the liking and the reverence had laboured hard to win it all from her husband in accordance with her father's teaching but it had seemed to her that her labour was wasted lord george did not in the least care what he ate he evidently had no opinion at all about the bed and as to his clothes seemed to receive no accession of comfort by having one wife and her maid instead of three sisters and their maid and old mrs toff to look after them he had no habits which she could indulge she had looked about for the weak point in his armour but had not found it it seemed to her that she had no influence over him whatever she was of course aware that they lived upon her fortune but she was aware also that he knew that it was so and that the consciousness made him unhappy she could not therefore even endeavour to minister to his comfort by surrounding him with pretty things all expenditure was grievous to him The only matter in which she had failed to give way to any expressed wish had been in that important matter of their town residence, and as to that she had in fact had no power of yielding. It had been of such moment as to have been settled for her by previous contract. But she had often thought whether in her endeavour to force herself to be in love with him she would not persistently demand that Munster Court should be abandoned, and that all the pleasures of her own life should be sacrificed now for a day or two she heartily wished that she had done so she liked her house she liked her broom she liked the gaieties of her life and in a certain way she liked jack de baron but they were all to her as nothing when compared to her duty and her sense of the obligations which she owed to her husband playful and childish as she was all this was very serious to her perhaps the more serious because she was playful and childish she had not experience enough to know how small some things are, and how few are the evils which cannot be surmounted. It seemed to her that if Miss Mildmay were at this moment to bring the horrid charge against her, it might too probably lead to the crash of ruin and the horrors of despair. Yet through it all she had a proud feeling of her own innocence, and a consciousness that she would speak out very loudly should her husband hint to her that he believed the accusation her father would now be in london in a day or two and on this occasion would again be staying in munster court at last she made up her mind that she would tell everything to him it was not perhaps the wisest resolution to which she could have come a married woman should not usually teach herself to lean on her parents instead of her husband and certainly not on her father it is in this way that divided households are made but she had no other real friend of whom she could ask a question She liked Mrs. Houghton, but, as to such a matter as this, distrusted her altogether. She liked Miss Houghton, her friend's aunt, but did not know her well enough for such service as this. She had neither brother nor sister of her own, and her husband's brothers and sisters were certainly out of the question. Old Mrs. Montacute Jones had taken a great fancy to her, and she almost thought that she could have asked Mrs. Jones for advice, but she had no connection with Mrs. Jones, and did not dare to do it therefore she resolved to tell everything to her father on the evening before her father came to town there was another ball at mrs montacute jones's this old lady who had no one belonging to her but an invisible old husband was the gayest of the gay among the gay people of london on this occasion mary was to have gone with lady brabazon who was related to the germains and lord george had arranged an escape for himself they were to drive out together, and when she went to her ball he would go to bed. But in the course of the afternoon she told him that she was writing to Lady Brabazon to decline. "'Why won't you go?' said he. "'I don't care about it. "'If you mean that you won't go without me, of course I will go. "'It isn't that exactly. "'Of course it is nicer if you go, though I wouldn't take you if you don't like it. "'But—' "'But what, dear? "'I think I'd rather not to-night.' i don't know that i am quite strong enough then he didn't say another word to press her only begging that she would not go to the dinner either if she were not well but she was quite well and she did go to the dinner again she had meant to tell him why she would not go to mrs jones's ball but had been unable jack de baron would be there and would want to know why she would not waltz and adelaide houghton would tease her about it very likely before him she had always waltzed with him and could not now refuse without some reason so she gave up her ball, sending word to say that she was not very well. "'I shouldn't at all wonder if he has kept her at home because he's afraid of you,' said Mrs. Houghton to her cousin. Late in the following afternoon, before her husband had come home from his club, she told her father the whole story of her interview with Miss Mildmay. "'What a tiger!' he said, when he had heard it. "'I have heard of women like that before, but I have never believed in them.' "'You don't think she will tell him?' "'What matter if she does?' what astonishes me most is that a woman should be so unwomanly as to fight for a man in such a way as that it is the sort of thing that men used to do you must give up your claim to that lady or else you must fight me now she comes forward and says that she will fight you but papa i have no claim nor probably has she no i am sure she has not but what does that matter the horrid thing is that she should say all this to me i told her that she couldn't know that i was married she merely wanted to make herself disagreeable if one comes across disagreeable people one has to bear with it i suppose she was jealous she had seen you dancing or perhaps talking with the man oh yes and in her anger she wanted to fly at some one it is not her i care about papa what then if she were to tell george what if she did you do not mean to say that he would believe her you do not think that he is jealous she began to perceive that she could not get any available counsel from her father unless she should tell him everything she must explain to him what evil lady susanna had already done how her sister-in-law had acted as duenna and had dared to express a suspicion about this very man and she must tell him that lord george had desired her not to waltz and had done so as she believed because he had seen her waltzing with jack de baron but all this seemed to her to be impossible there was nothing which she would not be glad that he knew if only he could be made to know it all truly but she did not think that she could tell him what had really happened and were she to do so there would be horrid doubts on his mind you do not mean to say that he is given to that sort of thing asked the dean again with a look of anger oh no at least i hope not susanna did try to make mischief the D," she did said the dean "'Mary almost jumped in her chair. "'She was so much startled by such a word from her father's mouth. "'If he's fool enough to listen to that old cat, "'he'll make himself a miserable and a contemptible man. "'Did she say anything to him about this very man? "'She said something very unpleasant to me, and of course I told George. "'Well, he was all that was kind. "'He declared that he had no objection to make to Captain de Baron at all. "'I am sure there was no reason why he should.' tush exclaimed the dean as though any assurance or even any notice of the matter in that direction were quite unnecessary and there was an end of that i think he is a little inclined to be-to be-to be be what you had better tell it all out mary perhaps what you would call strict he told me not to waltz any more the other day he's a fool said the dean angrily Oh no papa don't say that of course he has a right to think as he likes and of course i am bound to do as he says he has no experience no knowledge of the world perhaps one of the last things which a man learns is to understand innocence when he sees it the word innocence was so pleasant to her that she put out her hand and touched his knee take no notice of what that angry woman said to you above all do not drop your acquaintance with this gentleman you should be too proud to be influenced in any way by such scandal but if she were to speak to george she will hardly dare but if she does that is no affair of yours you can have nothing to do with it till he shall speak to you you would not tell him no i should not even think about it she is below your notice if it should be the case that she dares to speak to him and that he should be weak enough to be moved by what such a creature can say to him you will i am sure have dignity enough to hold your own with him Tell him that you think too much of his honour as well of your own to make it necessary for him to trouble himself, but he will know that himself, and if he does speak to you he will speak only in pity for her. All this, he said slowly and seriously, looking as she had sometimes seen him look when preaching in the cathedral, and she believed him now as she always believed him then, and was in a great measure comforted but she could not but be surprised that her father should so absolutely refuse to entertain the idea that any intimacy between herself and captain de baron should be injurious it gratified her that it should be so but nevertheless she was surprised she had endeavoured to examine the question by her own lights but had failed in answering it she knew well enough that she liked the man she had discovered in him the realization of those early dreams his society was in every respect pleasant to her He was full of playfulness, and yet always gentle. He was not very clever, but clever enough. She had made the mistake in life, or rather others had made it for her, of taking herself too soon from her playthings, and devoting herself to the stern reality of a husband. She understood something of this, and liked to think that she might amuse herself innocently with such a one as Jack de Baron she was sure that she did not love him that there was no danger of her loving him and she was quite confident also that he did not love her but yet yet there had been a doubt on her mind innocent as it all was there might be some cause of offence to her husband it was this thought that had made her sometimes long to be taken away from london and be immured amidst the dullness of cross hall but of such dangers and of such fears her father saw nothing her father simply bade her to maintain her own dignity and have her own way perhaps her father was right on the next day the dean and his son-in-law went according to appointment to mr battle mr battle received them with his usual bland courtesy and listened attentively to whatever the two gentlemen had to say lawyers who know their business always allow their clients to run out their stories even when knowing that the words so spoken are wasted words It is the quickest way of arriving at their desired result. Lord George had a good deal to say, because his mind was full of the conviction that he would not for worlds put an obstacle in the way of his brother's heir if he could be made sure that the child was the heir. He wished for such certainty, and cursed the heavy chance that had laid so grievous a duty on his shoulders. When he had done, Mr. Battle began. I think, Lord George, that I have learned most of the particulars. Lord George started back in his chair. What particulars? said the dean. The marchioness's late husband, for she doubtless is his lordship's wife, was a lunatic. A lunatic? said Lord George. We do not quite know when he died, but we believe it was about a month or two before the date at which his lordship wrote home to say that he was about to be married. Then that child cannot be Lord Popinjoy," said the dean with exultation. That's going a little too fast, Mr. Dean. There may have been a divorce. There is no such thing in Roman Catholic countries, said the dean, certainly not in Italy. I do not quite know, said the lawyer. Of course we are as yet very much in the dark. I should not wonder if we found that there had been two marriages. All this is what we have got to find out. The lady certainly lived in great intimacy with your brother before her first husband died. How do you know anything about it? asked Lord George. I happened to have heard the name of the Marchese Luigi, and I knew where to apply for information. "'We did not mean that any inquiry should be made so suddenly,' said Lord George angrily. "'It was for the best,' said the dean. "'Certainly for the best,' said the unruffled lawyer. "'I would now recommend that I may be commissioned to send out my own confidential clerk to learn all the circumstances of the case, and that I should inform Mr. Stokes that I am going to do so, on your instructions, Lord George.' Lord George shivered. I think we should even offer to give his lordship time to send an agent with my clerk if he pleases to do so or to send one separately at the same time or to take any other step that he may please it is clearly your duty my lord to have the inquiry made your manifest duty said the dean unable to restrain his triumph lord george pleaded for delay and before he left the lawyers chambers almost quarreled with his father-in-law but before he did leave them he had given the necessary instructions end of chapter 28 recording by crowgirl caracrow.blogspot.com